0: In this episode, Pastor John Mark Caton continues his series entitled, A Man's Handbook. Today, John Mark teaches us four different points on how to become a Good Samaritan, which is derived from Luke 10, 25 to 37. Now let's hear from Pastor John Mark. Take and turn with me in your Bible, if you would, to Luke chapter 10, as we continue our series entitled, A Man's Handbook, and really, uh, really what it means to be a man. And in Luke chapter 10, uh, Jesus uh, is addressing us uh, in general, but some people specifically for his time and his space. And he kind of shocks them with the story. Uh, And the story kind of has, uh, it's one as you you read it or as you get to it, you're going to say, oh, I've heard this story. Um, It it has an unlikely hero, uh, a, a man that you would not have thought Uh, would ultimately become the hero of the story and the hero of the faith. And the encouragement for me to you guys is is we can all be that man. Everyone in this room can be that man. We can all be that man that uh, when someone hears our story uh, a year from now or a decade from now or 20 years from now or 30 years from now, and they go, you mean he was the hero hero of the story? Uh, and, And you might be in one of those spaces right now that it would shock you that in five years God makes you the hero of the story. It would shock you if in 10 years God will make you the hero of the story. Or perhaps uh, if you went back right now 10 years in your life and think about where you were 10 years ago or where you were 15 years ago, it would shock your 10 year or 15 year ago self that you're an unlikely hero in the faith today. And that's what we're gonna see uh, in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus tells a story that we're all pretty familiar with, but it's really an invitation for us all to be that kind of man. Regardless of where we've been, regardless of where we grew up, regardless of whether we grew up in church or outside of church, regardless of any of those things, you and I can be unlikely heroes for the faith. We can be unlikely heroes to our family, to those around us, to our friends, at the office, wherever we are. We can all be unlikely heroes. And that's exactly what we see in Luke chapter 10. If you remember last week, if you missed it, you can go find it on the podcast. Uh, We looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, where where Peter is talking about us, that we we are a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession. We once were not a people, now we are a people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. But then once he talked about who we were, then he talked about our call, what we had what was our call to ultimately go and share the gospel that's what it's about and so as we think about jumping back look at colossians chapter 3 verse 12 this is paul kind of uh, using similar language that we looked at last week colossians chapter 3 verse 12 here's what paul says he says therefore as god's chosen people or chosen men holy and dearly loved clothe yourselves with compassion kindness humility, gentleness, and patience. So as we think back last week, man, who were we? Man, there were some amazingly powerful spiritual terms that Peter used to talk about us as children of God or as men of God, that we are part of a royal priesthood. Now, Paul succinctly in one verse says, As God's chosen people, really calling the same terminology back to play that Peter used last week, as chosen people or chosen men, holy and dearly loved, now how should we live? He says, you clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, with humility, gentleness, and patience. That's how we should live. Now that we know who we are, how should we live? And Probably the best example uh, of how we should live, how we should operate, how we should walk is found in a simple story that Jesus delivered uh, to teach and to challenge men who uh, thought they were kind of all that in a bag of chips. And we see that in Luke chapter 10, and he really talks about if we are going to be the kind of people that God wants us to be, the kind of men that God wants us to be, we need to learn to live in love, but let it be a love that is lived with action. And so let's pick it up and we'll start reading uh, in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We'll, uh, we'll know that uh, this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, and a Samaritan in those days, they were considered literally, uh, they were considered half-breeds. Uh, they were ones that had intermarried. Uh, they were not fully Jews. They had intermarried with outside people. And so they're in between Galilee uh, in the north and Judea in the south. You had this place called Samaria. And the people who lived in Samaria were known because they were a mixed race. They had been intermarried with other, other people. They had Jewish in their bloodline, but they weren't fully Jewish. And so they were despised because they were half-raised. They were mixed-race people. Uh, they were also despised because uh, their religion was mixed. It was not a pure Judaism. It was a mixture of uh, pagan religions and the one true li- religion. So the people were pretty despised. And so when people had to journey from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north or from Galilee in the north to Judea in the south They usually did it in a hurry They kind of drove through this neighborhood in a hurry and it said a good Jew When he went from one space to the other when he got to the other side of Samaria They would stop take their sandals off and beat the dust off of the Samaria off of Samaria So they wouldn't track it into the holy city. That's how much they despised this place All right. So think of it. It's just a journey. It's just a journey. And so let's pick it up and let's begin to read. It says on one occasion, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, one of the experts in the law stood up to test Jesus saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, Jesus replied, How do you read it? He answered, I'm supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind and and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds to him. He says, you've answered correctly. He says, do this and you will live. And so notice verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, all right, now, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? All right, so intellectually, he knew the answer. Intellectually, he says, all right, I'm to love the Lord my God with all my heart, si- heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I'm also to love my neighbor. And Jesus said, all right, great, you got it, go do that. You know, a, a lot of times um, we look for something complicated in life, and I think a lot of times what Jesus is just telling us is exactly what he told this expert in the law. He goes, what do you know about the gospel? What do you know about the Bible? Go do that. Go do that. Sometimes we sit around and go, you know, I, I need to learn so much more, and we all need to learn so much more. But I will tell you, there are a lot of times in our lives as men that uh, Jesus just looks at us and says, go do that. Whatever you know, go do that. And then next week when you get another sermon, then do that. And next week when you go to another live group, then do that. Just simply go do that. So that's what Jesus said. He said, hey, all right, great, you got it. Go do that. And seeking to justify himself because he understood, you know, this is not just a feel-good story or a verse or two, if you think about it. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and with all your soul, that's not a simple thing. That's not an easy task. It's something that calls for us to move beyond where we are to where God wants us to be over and over and over again. Sometimes it calls for repentance. Man, God, I haven't loved you the way I need to love you. God, I I have not worshiped you the way I should worship you. God, I, I have not served you the way I should serve you. But then the latter part of that, love your neighbor as yourself. God, I haven't loved people around me that I should care about as much as I should. And so I want you to know this is not an easy task. And this guy just said, hey, what little thing can I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, go do that. And so immediately the guy thought to himself, yeah, I can't do that. And so he tried to pare down, who's my neighbor? All right, I know I should love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, but who's my neighbor? And so he kind of steps back and he goes, all right, how how can I define neighbor? Because the last thing I want to do is get my hands dirty over someone that's different than me or, or, or someone that doesn't, uh, doesn't look like me or smell like me or act like me. I, I don't want to do that. So he says, hey, help me define my neighbor. So let me give you a couple of thoughts as we think on this, what Jesus is doing here. And I, I read a sermon on this passage uh, last week uh, from Martin Luther, that great reformer. And he was talking about this expert in the law, how many times that uh, uh, he referenced in this story uh, to uh, the priest of his day in the Roman Catholic Church back during the Reformation. He was saying, man, they would gotten so pious and said they had felt like they had become such experts in the law, the Roman Catholic law, that they didn't help anybody. They didn't care for anybody. They didn't love anybody. And then he turned around after pointing this passage at them, then he pointed it to us. Then he says, but... We want to be cautious that we don't become the same way. That we don't become experts in the law, but uncaring about people. And so as we think about it, what are, you say, all right, who is my neighbor? Well, let's see the illustration that Jesus gives. Look in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. He says, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. All right, let's just stop right there. We've got a lot of information in that story. And so you say, who should I help? Who should I care about? Uh, How should I help? How many of you know that you and I could collectively take all of our resources, spend it on all the needs that everybody has, just simply in Colling County, be completely broke, and there still be needs out there? How many of you know that? Let's be honest, right? Uh, How many of you know that probably if you're going to drive around today, uh, there's going to be someone on a street corner begging? How many of you know that? Uh, How many of you know you're you're going to find somebody that's hurting, right? You're going to have somebody that has something in need. So part of the question is uh, not who is my neighbor. The bigger question is who do I help? Who should I help? And guys, I'll tell you, if if you're not helping anyone, you're not fulfilling the gospel. But you also want to be careful that you're just not also helping anyone. You say, what are some questions that I could ask that says, all right, is this guy worthy? There is a lot of information we have right here. All right, what is the information? There was a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Here's what we know. We don't know the man. But here's what we know. That was a common trade route. People would go back and forth if they were going to do trade. So it's a very common trade route. As a matter of fact, we know that he wasn't off in the sticks. He wasn't off in the weeds because pretty quickly, Jesus uses an illustration of other guys that were taking the same path, right? He was just an unlucky soul. So read on. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. So he got attacked. All right, he didn't ask for it. He didn't long for it. He didn't bring it on himself. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. All right, so let me give you a couple of questions. And you might want to just write these down. If I'm contemplating helping someone, how can I determine if they are worthy of my help? Because I just want you to, I want to be honest with you. This doesn't sound very, very Christianly, but not everybody deserves to be helped. Everybody deserves the gospel, but not everybody deserves to be helped until they're ready, until they're ready to receive the help they need. So here are a couple of questions. Here's number one. If someone comes to you, and we have this happen at the church all the time, someone comes to you and asks you for help, your first response should be, where's your family? Where's your family? Have you gone to your family? Or are they in this scene? Are they around to help? Where's your family? Now, sometimes we live in a, a society that moves around a lot. They don't. Their family's not here, right? Or or maybe they're older and their family's gone. Uh, If if it's a widow in the church, one of the questions we need to ask is, where are your kids? Because here's what I know, no one's one's responsibility more than mine to help my mom. How many of us understand that? That's my call. Uh, My wife's sister. It's no one's responsibility more than mine to help. It's not the government's responsibility. So question number one, if someone's hurting, ask them where their family is. Here's another question you can ask them. Is this a one-off problem or a pattern of a failed lifestyle? Is this a one-off problem or a pattern of a failed lifestyle? If you think about this story right here, was this a one-off situation for this guy that got to beat up attack? Absolutely, it was one-off, right? Man, if someone's in a one-off situation and you have the ability to help, we really better think about stepping in and helping. But if this is a pattern of ongoing problems, then we probably want to help fix the pattern, not just solve the problem. Do we understand that? We want to help fix the pattern, not just solve the problem. Here's a third question. Did you bring this on yourself? Did you bring this on yourself? This isn't an I told you so moment. But this is a question to say, hey, how can I help you as we solve this problem, make sure we don't repeat this problem in the day's ahead. Did you bring it on yourself? And a lot of people, they will bring a problem on themselves. How many of you know? How, How many of you are employed? How many of you are going to work today? How many of you are the ultimate boss where you're working today? You're the ultimate boss. Okay, so everybody in here has a boss. How well will it go for your soul If you leave here, pick up your phone in your car and you cuss your boss out. How well will it go? How many of you think you'll still have a job at noon? All right, how many of you think when you got fired, you brought it on yourself? Only three of y'all? I wanna encourage y'all to go do that and call me and tell me how that works. All right, you would bring it on yourself, right? If you lose your noggin, you cuss your boss out, you've brought it on yourself. So help them determine, did you bring it on yourself? Here are a couple of things. Do you bring it on yourself? If you go to Proverbs chapter 6, you want to talk about some things that will bring it on yourself? Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. Jesus says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, pride and arrogance. Sometimes people bring things on themselves because they're pride and arrogant, proud and arrogant. Uh, a lying tongue. Some people are just perpetual liars. And here's what you know. The truth always comes out, doesn't it? Eventually, you can lie your way out of certain situations, but eventually the truth comes out. Here's another thing. Uh, hands that shed innocent blood. Hands that shed innocent blood. Now, I, I would say, uh, based on Will Smith's slap, he did not shed any blood. Not, not in, Nonetheless, innocent blood. But, man, are you going around and you're taking advantage of people? You're hurting people? Here's another thing to say to He says, a heart that devises wicked schemes. Man, some people are always just manipulating. They're conniving in relationships. And they're always just, they're always doing so. How many of you know somebody like that? They're just always scheming, right? God hates that. He says, a heart devises wicked Here's another one. Uh, Feet that are quick to rush into evil. Man, just some people, how many, have you ever noticed there are some people that are always the first one to the scene of the accident? Have you noticed that? Because they're driving the vehicle, right? What does it mean? They're bringing it on themselves. Uh, Here's another one. Uh, A false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Those are all things that God hates. So when you think, did you bring it on yourself, you're talking to the person who needs help, man, there's a pretty good list for you. Are you arrogant? Are you conniving? Is wicked schemes? What were you doing here? Are you lying about people? Man, those are some good ways to determine, should I help this individual? Now, really, remember, the story we're looking at fits all of these criteria. This person needs our help, all right? They were on their journey, probably to go do commerce work. They were attacked on a road that was a common road by robbers. They were just the unlucky traveler, right? So they need to be helped. Here's another couple of questions you can ask. Uh, How do we keep this from happening again? Helping that individual you're about to help. Ask them, how do we keep this from happening again? How can we make sure that this doesn't happen again in your life? And get them to help you solve the problem. Here's another one. Uh, Are there other changes in your life that need to be made to prevent future problems? All right, if we fix this problem, you need rent this month. Okay? You need rent this month. Are there other changes that need to be made in your life so you can pay for rent next month? Right? We're not helping the situation if we don't change the circumstance so that we can solve the problem long term. Here's another question. Can you get out of this yourself? I I will tell you, sometimes we live in a society that uh, sometimes the best thing someone can do is be told, you can fix this yourself. Because that's part of character building, isn't it? It's walking with someone alongside them, side by side, helping them solve their own problem. Man, we live in a world right now, in a culture right now, where we want the government to solve all our problems or another check from the government to solve all of our problems. And I want you guys to know we don't want to develop a culture nor kids who rely on the government to solve their problems, right? That's not the kind of character that we want to develop in our people. So help them understand, can you get out of this yourself? I'll be here with you. But let's navigate through this yourself. Here's another one. Uh, If you're looking to really help these individuals, can you do a background check and check legitimate sources of knowledge? Who, especially if it's significant. Now guys, I'm not talking about buying someone lunch, right? Don't check someone's sources if you're gonna buy them lunch. Just decide in your own heart and your good conscience, are you buying them lunch? If you're going to give them $10, don't check their source. If you're going to give someone that's on the street $10, don't check their source. But I'm talking about if someone is asking you for large, significant amounts of help, you want to check background sources. Why? Just, that's wisdom. All right, so now let's get back into the story. So let's go back. Verse 30, in reply, who's my neighbor, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him by, of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. So let's just go through. Let's just go through some of those questions I was just asked you. And let's see, does this guy meet the qualifications of needing a child of God, a man of God to step up and help him? All right. Uh, where's this guy's family? We don't know. He's away from them, right? He's traveling. He's doing business. So his family's not around. Are you going to, here he is, half dead. It says right there he's half dead. Are you going to be able to find his family? Family can't help right now. So guess what? One qualification, family can't help. I may need to help. Here's another one. Uh, is this a one-off? Yeah. Yeah, this clearly looks like a one-off. This dude was going to work, just like we were all going to work. Guess what? The priest could have been the one that was robbed. We're gonna read it here in a second. The Levite could have been the one that was robbed, and the Good Samaritan could have also been the one that was robbed, right? This was a one-off deal. Okay, this is a one-off deal. This isn't a pattern of broken behavior. Here's another one. Uh, um, Can we keep it from happening again? Well, uh, it would be highly unlikely for it to happen again. But if you're gonna travel the road, we all need to be more aware. But so that's what we want to think. All right, can we keep it from happening again? There's a good possibility if we can heal this guy, bring him back to life, if we can meet his need right here, uh, we can keep it from happening again. Um, Is this a little thing that this guy can help and fix himself? Yes or no? he says he was was left half dead. How, How many of you have ever been half dead? See, half dead is not good. Do you understand that? Uh, He couldn't help himself. It says he was beaten, stripped, robbed, and left half dead. He couldn't help himself out. All right, so here he is. Now we're going down. This is not a small offense. There was nothing he could do to fix it. Well, you look down the checklist. He didn't bring it on himself. This wasn't a foolish or unwise decision. Uh, He can't help himself. He can't get out of it. You can't sit there and give this guy wisdom, all right? Wisdom's not going to fix this problem. What does this dude need? He needs medical care and he needs money to pay. Why does he need money? Not because he doesn't work, but because someone took it from him, right? He needs help. So this is the kind of guy that meets all the criteria for a child of God to say, this is my neighbor, I'm going to help. Now, listen, this is not a message Against buying people lunch, this is not a message against putting quarters in someone's cup who's begging. Who's begging? That's not what this message is about. This message is about us as men stepping up, looking to help other men who are genuinely in need. Right? And this is the way we are as a church. We get lots of requests as a church. I need you to help me. I need you to do this. I will tell you as a pastor, as I meet people, a lot of people will ask the pastor for money. I will tell you it happens. It happens. They ask the pastor, can you help me with rent? Pastor, can you help? I tell them to call Hill House. All right. That's what happens. And uh, I, that, they, they usually don't enjoy that call. Uh, but here's the, so I'm not, a, I'm not against any of these things. But I think it's good for us to understand as we journey forward as a church, we want to be the most caring church and loving church, but we want to be a wise church when we think about who we help. All right, so let's continue to read. So, and let's, let's talk about two responses when we truly find someone in need. This guy has met the qualifications of someone who needs to be helped. Notice what happens. He says, there's a bad Samaritan. Here are a couple of bad Samaritans. Uh, they keep their distance from them. Look at it verse 31. It says, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Guys, we can't be that kind of church. We can't be that kind of men We can't be the kind of people when we see someone hurting, we pass by on the other side. Especially if they meet the qualifications. Do we understand that? We need to be a loving church, a caring church. When we see this kind of event, we don't walk past on the other side. Because spiritually speaking, we are all broken. We are all hurting. Spiritually speaking, we have all been robbed. How many of us understand by, God, by by Satan. We've all been robbed spiritually. We need the gospel. But after we need the gospel, when people are hurting, they're broken down, they're half dead, they in, they're they in need, that's when we step in. Now we want to make sure they meet the qualifications. Then we want to step in. We don't want to be a bad Samaritan. We won't don't want to be pious priests who passed by on the other side. Here's the second thing we don't want to do. We don't want to be bad Samaritans that are just curious, but don't really care. You see that in verse 32. Look at it. We saw the priest priest went by. He was pious and proud and just arrogantly walked by on the other side of the street. Here's the Levite, more the expert in the law. He knows all these things. Look at what he does in verse 32. He's curious but uncaring. Look at it. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw. What does that mean? He stopped and looked. He checked out the situation a little bit. He thought he would peek in just a little bit, but then he passed by on the other side. Guys, we don't want to be bad Samaritans. This guy met all the qualifications for someone who truly needed help. And you had a priest that went by on the other side. You had an expert in the law that stopped, paused, thought about it, then rolled on. And Jesus says, we can't be that way. Guys, we've got to be better. As a church, we've got to be better. So now we have the qualifications that are met. Jesus is going to flip it and he's going to kind of make it interesting. See, for the Israelites, for the Jews uh, of Jesus' day, they hated the Samaritans. They were half-breeds, mixed race, mixed religion. They hated them. And so Jesus now flips the script on them, and he flips the script on them, and he talks about someone called a good Samaritan. So now as we pick it up, we we'll begin to read. Look at verse 33. It says, but a Samaritan, everybody say of Samaritan. Samaritan. I will promise you, when Jesus said those two words, but a Samaritan, or, but Samaritan, all the guys said, this is where the story is about to really get bad. That's what everybody thought. They thought, okay. The priest walked by on the other side. The Levi stopped and looked. He was uh, he, he was curious, but he didn't really care. And then I will guarantee you, when Jesus said, "But a certain Samaritan," everybody listened, thought, "Ah, oh, this is going to be bad," because remember, the guy's only half dead. I guarantee everybody thought he's about to be all dead. I guarantee that's about what they thought—that he's about to be all dead. And so notice what Jesus said. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, look at this, he took pity on him. He really had compassion. He assessed the situation. This guy didn't bring it on himself. This was a one-off situation. This guy is truly hurt. I can't look to his family. I'm the only guy here. I either help him or he's not getting helped. And he took pity on him. He had compassion on him. And guys, I want you to know, we we don't have to help everybody. You don't have to feel compelled to help everybody who asks you for something. But I will tell you, if you're not helping somebody, you're probably missing the gospel. If you're not looking around, finding somebody that you can help, that you can encourage, that you can have compassion on and take pity on, you're probably not connected with the gospel. You can either do it individually or you can do it through the church. Man, you see there's always something going on right over there at that mission table. You can always contribute to the benevolence ministry of the church. And we have a system that will help people. We can always, guys, we always need to be having compassion and pity on someone. So always look to, for someone that you can help. So the good Samaritan, notice was, he sees the needs. He has compassion on other people. Now look at it. Here's what he did. A, a good, good Samaritan sees the needs. You might want to just write these down real quick. Sees the needs of others. Now That's number one. If I'm going to be a good Samaritan, I'm going to see the needs of others. Here's number two. If I'm going to be a good Samaritan, I'm going to sympathize with others' pain. Notice what it says. And he took pity on others. It says he saw him. First of all, I looked, I examined, I asked those questions. He qualifies for help. Then notice he sympathizes. He took pity on him. That's the second thing. Here's the third thing. A good Samaritan will seize the moment to help. In other words, if we're truly going to be the kind of good Samaritans that Jesus wants us to be, at some point we have to move from emotion to action, right? That is one thing for him to see. It's another thing for him to have compassion. But then he had to move to action. What did he do? You pick it up reading in verse 34. And he went to him, there's the action, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. So notice, he's moved from seeing to feeling to now he is acting. He began to bandage up the wounds. He went through his checklist, made sure this guy was truly in need. He began to bandage up the wounds. Whose wounds do you need to bandage up this week, this month, this season, this time? And so it says he went to him, he bandaged up. Then notice what else? The Good Samaritan, finally, we're going to see in the latter part of verse 34 and 35. What it takes to help others, look at. He says, then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn to take care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and I will return and I will ultimately reimburse you for every expense that you have. Dude, that's what it means to be a good Samaritan. If you ever think, man, what does God want me to do? Or God wants me to help someone else. This is a pretty good pattern and model. Is that there are some questions we can ask when someone comes to us with a need that we can just in our mind begin to check off this list do they qualify if you want to go back go back to this say all right is this situation i am looking at with someone who has a need is this like a good uh, like like the man who was on the road who really didn't bring it on himself or does this person have a habit? of committing the same sin over and over and over again. If so, I'm called to help one, not necessarily the other. But the key is this, we should always have a heart to help. You know, it's one thing for us to talk about being spiritual men. But guys, it's another thing that Jesus would challenge us today, that every one of us would leave here thinking about being somebody's good Samaritan every day i pray god let me be somebody's good samaritan imagine if just the men in this room left here today being the good samaritan in one person's life how much better your office your family your neighborhood your community and your church would be so men let's be good samaritans let's pray god thank you so much for this day God, think of it the opportunity to be challenged with the gospel. That we understand, spiritually speaking, we were that man on the side of the road, except for the cross. But because of the cross and the gospel, that we are saved. That we have the opportunity now to go to others who are on the side of the road, spiritually speaking, and share the gospel. But it's not always just the gospel. Sometimes it's meeting needs. And as we move and journey forward and we think about what it truly means to live out the gospel, it means that we're to help others. But God, let us be wise in the way we do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You all have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. For more information about Cottonwood Creek Church, visit cottonwoodcreek.org. And we hope you come back to listen to future episodes of Men's Bible Study.